Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome to the Unbox Your Give podcast. And throughout the series of these podcasts, we've, I've interviewed people who, you know, are pro-life. <laughs> and my next guest is pro-life too. But her passion is so different, so uncommon, which is why I was compelled to bring her on. My guest, Robin O'Connell, is a funeral celebrant. She's a funeral celebrant and also a funeral celebrant trainer. Now, when I was reading about Robin, one of the things that she would like seeing happening in the world, in our society, in our culture, is so that the topic of death is spoken in the same way as the topic of life is spoken about, which I find is really remarkable because if you have a theological background or if you are into spirituality or religion, you know that death is a common topic that's spoken about. But in our secular culture, it's not really given a lot of voice, which is why I was compelled to bring Robin on to number one, talk about what compelled her to become a funeral celebrant and find passion in doing so, and why she wants the topic of death being as common of a conversation of subject of matter than what life is. So Robin, welcome to Unbox Your Gift. Thank you, Rita. It's really great to be with you. Super duper. Now tell me, Robin, you've got to start from the beginning. Why are you a what is so what is so passionate for you about being a funeral celebrant? I tell people that I have the best job in the world and people usually go, you're a what? <laughs> but the thing is that if you do what you love and you're passionate about what you do, you know, I remember seeing Paul McCartney saying, you know, I, I love what I do. The fact I get paid for it, it's a bonus. I thought that's okay because you've got a bucket load of money. But, you know, I understand what he said now because for 16 years I've been living my dream and doing what I love to do. Wow. Wow. So how did this dream job come about? It was, I had thought about becoming a marriage celebrant at one stage in my life when I was just, you know, just wondering what I was going to do. You know, you get to that point in your life and you think, where do I go from here? What, what do I really want to do? What, what's this all about? I've been involved in death for a long time. So my daughter died 39 years ago and I learned grief counselling and I was involved in all that sort of stuff at that time but people who work in fun the funeral industry in particular will tell you that there's kind of there's this draw card that keeps pulling you back towards it so i was doing i learned grief counseling and and i did lots of other things but it just i just couldn't find what i wanted to do and then one day i went to my sister-in-law's mum's funeral and there was a celebrant and he was dreadful. <laughs> he was like morbid. And, you know, like if you weren't depressed before you went in, you certainly came out feeling like that. So, and I thought there has to be a way that you can do that without it being, you know, disrespectful or, or um, morbid or anything, but still honouring a life that this lady had such a beautiful life. Mm. And she was so loved as a mum and all that sort of thing. And, and the, the crux of it happened when I was with the children and we were writing letters to Nana and he read them out. So he picks up the letter and he goes, Dear Nana, 
<laughs> if I could talk to you today, and I'm like going, that's not how they were talking. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you know, they were like, Nana, you know, if we could see you today, we would be making pancakes, you know? And he's like, we would be making pancakes. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I thought I have to do something. I, you know, like I can do that. I can, you know, I'm not afraid to stand up in front of people. I'd been working for the SIDS Foundation as a community educator, uh, as a volunteer and, and uh, when the people paid us. So I was quite used to talking to people about it. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a go. Mm. So I was about 45 at the time. And I thought, yeah, look, let's look into it. So, so it kind of started from there. And then once, once I started looking into it, I went, oh, I love this. I love telling stories. I love talking, as you can tell. <laughs> wow. Does it ever, ever make you feel uh, down or despondent because of what's happening? Oh, sure, sure. You know, I mean, if I ever stopped feeling about doing things, then I'd stop doing it because, you know, that's, I'm not giving my all. If I'm not up there with 100% for this person who has died to be their voice mm. or to be the family's voice about this person, then I would give it up. There, there's no doubt that I, you know, and that's what I say to people who train with me, that when you feel like you're going to do a job, you don't do it anymore. Mm. So, so how do you know, Robin, how do you know in your heart of hearts, in your gut, that this is the, the dream job for you and nothing else is out, like nothing else can compare to it? Like how, how do you assess that? So if someone else is trying to figure out, well, are you sure it's your dream job? Or if someone else is thinking, I don't know if I am in my dream job, how do you know in your gut, how do you assess yourself that this is, this is the passion for you? I found out when I went and saw somebody who I thought I could do better than. And probably 80% of people who come and train with me, uh, when I ask that question, they go, it was because I went to a funeral and it was awful. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> and, and they go, you know, this person just wasn't, that wasn't that person that I knew. You know, they, they kind of made them out to be this, you know, saintly person who did everything perfectly and and they weren't like that. In fact, often they were quite cantankerous old buggers, you know, um, and, and they sit there feeling like I did at my father's funeral going, who in the hell are they talking about? Wow. This is like not my father. This is like some other stranger that, so the devil incarnate had become a saint just by dying. <laughs> Okay, so how do you make sure that the the deceased and the family are represented in a way that's that is honest and true and not something that's airy flary and fluffy? It's it's really interesting because you know there's that saying that says don't speak ill of the dead, mm -hmm. and so you know. I can sit with family. So I'm quite an intuitive person. I'm, I'm quite a spiritualist person. So I'm quite intuitive. And I can, I can sense an undertone that all was not sort of perfect with this mum and stuff like that. And so often I will just kind of bring up and say, you know, 
you've told me all these wonderful things about it. Okay, what were the things that kind of really drove you mad, you know? What were the things? And I, I'd say, you know, when I was 52, my mother was still pulling my strings and she'd be saying jump and I'd say how high. <laughs> and so, and then they would say, actually, our mum was like that. She used to play one off against the other or she'd do this or she'd do that or something like that. And I'd go to them, you know what, if we don't acknowledge her faults as well as her good parts, then everybody sits there going, yes, but what about? Mm, mm, okay. And so, but you don't do it in a negative way. Yeah, yeah. And so you've been doing this for 16 years. Yes. Wow. So it has, because this is interesting, because many of the people that I've interviewed have not done their work for 16 years. You've done it for a good length of time. Do you feel that the next evolution is coming in terms of your passion is coming? Or do you think this is the, this is it? This is your passion. This is one shop, one stop shop passions place for you. <laughs> um, if you had have asked me that question a year ago, I would have said, yes, that's, that's it. I, I'm training funeral celebrants, people who want to be funeral celebrants. I, I train them and I love, and in fact, the venue that we use say that I'm their favorite people who rent the venue for the oh, for week because they say, we see these sort of, you know, uh, eight strangers come in on Saturday and then on Thursday, everybody's hugging and kissing as they're leaving, you know. And they said it's like this transformation happens over these six days of living intensively together. And, and so from that point of view, I kind of felt fulfilled. I felt like I'm doing what I do. I'm, I'm, I now only work on requests. So people who actually request me to do funerals, you know, because after so long, I have a lot of families one family where I've done seven funerals and two weddings for them so but they were all old there was only one of them that was in their 60s they were all in their 80s oh wow um but you know it's sort of like there's those connections I don't want to lose those and I don't think that you can train in something effectively unless you're working in it as well so so I want I want to continue to doing that but 12 months ago I had a dream that I would start a foundation in memory of my daughter who died 39 years ago. Mm. And so I'm now at 63. Wow. <laughs> I've got a new passion. <laughs> and I'm starting a charity to pay for the funerals of babies between 20 weeks gestation and one year where the parents can't afford to do so. Oh my goodness. That's remarkable. Wow. So so when all my friends are saying, oh, I can't wait to retire, I'm going, I'm an idiot. I'm starting up a whole new thing. <laughs> well, you know, I think you're so smart because you're just keeping yourself so active and so on purpose. Yes. Which, which is really going to allow those neural pathways to prevent any kind of, God forbid, Alzheimer's or dementia. Because that's, <laughs> you know, that's what happens when your brain's not working, you know, it just kind of nothing's taking place but when you're now going to be i love that starting the foundation if someone's listening to this uh robin and you're just starting it and i i get that what are the steps you're taking to put that into place to put it into action so that your the funding the putting it all together the like how is it all coming across for you it's been a huge job it's been 12 months in the making and we've still got three months to go before we launch so we just launched our GoFundMe campaign. Okay. So 
what happened um, when I decided to do this was that so many people said to me, tell me what you did because I want to do that, you know, because I want to start a foundation for this or that or the other. There's actually 45,000 charities in Australia. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? That's a lot. So, so I decided that I would document everything because me being me, the first thing I decided when I wanted to do something was to look for a book because mm. that's what I do. Mm. Right. So I go searching everywhere. The government have a wonderful website about it, but each tab has like 20 drop down tabs. And, you know, they say, go and get accounting advice and go and get, financial advice and go and get legal advice right and you go so which one do you do first ah. like there was nothing to say these are the steps mm. so mm. in amongst all this i also write write books and things and so i'm actually writing a book called you don't have to be mad to start a charity oh. <laughs> i love it i love it i love it and then that's so that Sorry, go on. So that's that's going to um, you know give people a step by step thing to think about before they even start the costs involved. You know, like it costs a lot of money to set up a charity, and you know these are the things you don't know before you start. So I, I want people to be able to do that. And what's going to happen when it eventually gets finished? Uh, when the charity is actually going, because I want it to be going for six months before. I actually published the book, but it will just be an e-book that people can purchase for $10 and that money will go to the foundation. Oh, so, I that. You know, so that will kind of like, you know, so I write, um, I write other things. I write poetry books for funeral celebrants and um, just some stuff for funeral celebrants and 25% of the sale of all of those go to the foundation as well. So, so it's kind of, you know, one thing kind of leading into another. I love because you've also written another book called "What Happens When You Die." That's right. And wow, that picked. So, what does? So, in a nutshell, but what what do you believe happens when we die? From a physical point of view or a spiritual point of view? Both. Okay, so from a physical point of view, you know, obviously we have funeral directors to care for our people who who've passed over and um and we have a funeral and i think you know one of the really important parts about grieving is the funeral and there's so many people now who go you know what i don't want to have a funeral i just want to have you know they can just cremate me and we'll just have a party and stuff that what they don't realize is that the funeral is a really important part of the grieving process it's the gathering of everybody together to mourn so so from Australian point of view, we we like everything. When something comes in new, we embrace it completely. So we go from doing uh, mourning death to celebrating life, but we forget the mourning part. And the mourning part is really important. Okay. So one of the things that I teach, and you know, I speak at a lot of conferences, and the topic that I talk on is finding the balance between mourning death and celebrating life nice very nice so so that's you know that's the funeral part the the average attendance at a funeral these days is between 80 and 100 people 
Oh, wow. Okay. There will be less than a, than a handful of those people that will still be comfortable with, with talking about that person who's died 12 months later. Mm. We don't do death very well. We just, we kind of like, oh, I don't want to mention his name in case I make her cry. I don't want to mention, you know, I don't want to make her cry. I don't want to make her sad. They're there anyway. The tears are there anyway. Mm. All they've done is to release them, you know. So it's a really important part for people to know that it's okay to talk about someone that they, that's died. Yeah. It's okay to say, oh, you know, I was just thinking about Terry the other day because I was driving down the street and saw all the leaves on the road and thought he used to be out there raking away. Mm. And what happens then is that the widow of Terry sort of says, oh, somebody else is thinking of him too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you talked about that intro thing at the start about being comfortable, being talking about somebody who's died, you have got no idea. I About two years ago, I caught up with my ex-husband's family, some of the members of the ex-family from there, and my sister-in-law put her hand on mine and she said, you know, I think about Becky on the 7th of August every year. And I thought I would have loved to have known that over the last 39 years. Wow. I would love to have known that she thought of her every year. Mm. But nobody ever sort of says anything because, you know, like she might have gone on with her life and, you know, like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. not going to, you know, you're not going to do that. For me, I have to believe that there's something, something else because if I didn't, I couldn't do what I do. So I do a lot of funerals of young people, of mainly unexpected um, and babies. And, and, and if I thought that there was nothing, then I, I couldn't do it. You know, whereas I believe that my daughter is still around me. I believe she's the one driving this thing wow. <laughs> behind me. Um, and so, you know, and so I believe we do what it is. I don't know, but... I think about the story of the water bugs and the dragonfly. So the water bugs are there. It's not until they go up on the lily pad and dry out and become a dragonfly that they become this magnificent creature, but they can't go back to the water bugs because they can't go in water. So they can't go back and tell them what happened. Mm. And that's how I view life. Mm. Okay. That, you know, they're now the dragonflies, mm. but they can't come back and tell us. That's, that's remarkable, Robin, because I find that a lot of people who have found what they're good at, their passion, has usually come round because a, a personal, a, a, a very personal incident triggered it. And with your it was your daughter and then it was the funeral of your father that it just kind of, because you could have done anything else outside of that. I mean, it, but that was just the pull. Sure. It was the pull. Do you think you would be a funeral celebrant if those two events hadn't happened? No. If, if Becky hadn't have died, I couldn't, I couldn't have stood up in front of five people and spoken, mm -hmm. let alone, you know, one of the funerals that I did was probably about 1,500 people. Wow. You know, um, I, I couldn't have done that. It was, it was the experience of losing her mm -hmm. and as painful and terrible as that was, um, it was her gift to me to 
say, hey, you can do these things. You can make a difference. And you know, one of the one of the things that I get the students to do on their very first day at the course, which is quite confronting really, is to write what they want on their gravestone. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> Wow. Oh, my goodness. But whatever you write on your gravestone is actually your longest-term goal. Oh, my God. That's like personal development on steroids. That's exactly what one of my course participants called it. Oh, my God. What you want... But like mine, mm. mine is to say she made a difference. Ah. Right? So... That's what I want to do with my life. You know, we, we have to have some sort of goal. It doesn't matter how small the goal is, but unless we have something to always be striving towards, yeah. then we just go around in circles. You know, that is so, God, that's so poignant because, you know, we all have goals that we put on New Year's or every six months or quarterly or whatever it may be, but that really puts all the comparisonitis, all the things of I'm not good enough, I don't know if I can do it, all those things that stop people from going for their passion, that really puts it into perspective. What do you want to have be written on your tombstone? Like that is quite very, as you said, very confronting because it becomes, shit becomes real. You know? That's right. It's, it's, it's not um, well, how do I feel like or do I want to be anything vain or it just really puts everything in perspective. Have you had anything quite crazy being written when people have written that down? No, no, no because it's usually quite a confronting experience Yeah, and then they have to share it with everyone. So, you know. So why do you have that? Why did you get them to do that exercise? Because I want them to think about, what their purpose in life is because they are undertaking to help people and they need to really be prepared to put themselves out there and do the best for that family. So I walk away from every funeral going, I've done the best that I possibly could for that family. Mm. And I think that they need to really assess. And I have, you know, I have one participant at the end of the course say, you know what, I'm never going to do this because I don't want to work under pressure because it's always under pressure because you're always on a timeline. Yeah. But what I've done is I'm really happy that I can do my family and friends mm. and that I have learned so much about me and my life that I realise that I actually don't want to spend my life working. Okay. Okay. So it was kind of quite a profound thing. But if I go back to when I first started my business in 2002, um, I went along as you do. I went along and learned how to do a business plan and I learned all those things. And I walked away from every one of them with the advice of the trainer saying, don't even go there. You are not going to make money out of this. Don't even go there. Wow. And I thought, don't let somebody else's opinion about you define who you are. Wow. So I persevered. I only did 12 funerals in my first year. 12 funerals. That's all I did. Wow. 
and I didn't even know how I, I was going to pay the rent. And for the first year, I lived on soup and bread. I can't eat soup anymore. <laughs> Why you I can't. Well, because that's what I literally lived on for a year. But, but thank you for saying that, Robin, because that is so honest. That is so honest of the reality of what it sometimes takes to just follow a dream, to follow a vision, that it's, yep. it's, it's, it's going to be like some peaks and valleys and the valleys may be pretty deep compared to the peaks in the beginning. Absolutely. And you know, they say that magical three years, by yes. three years, yeah. I was knocking back more work than I could possibly do. And that continued on right up until probably about two years ago when I made the decision that I was going to sort of cut back a little bit more and then I kind of like went, I'm, I don't want to give it up altogether, but I want to kind of like just have more life work balance. Whereas I was, I'm a bit of a workaholic. You might not be able to tell that, but I am. Um, so I, I wanted to, you know, so I met my current husband 10 years ago and I went off a couple of boards that I was on and stuff like that to concentrate because unless I'm a fulfilled person too, then, you know, if I've got a big gap in my life, then that's going to reflect in my work as well. So, because as a funeral celebrant, you have to be 100% present there. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So now that you, that I, I just absolutely love the fact that that was the reality of finding, I mean, not every passion takes having soup and bread for a year, but that's the reality of what happened. No. But what I love is you defied someone's opinion who said it's just not going to happen. How long did it take for you to start, uh, you know, just seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, that this could work? Like, what was that point? Was it 14 months in? Was it 16? Was it two years? Um, by two years, I was living comfortably. Okay. Um, and by the third year, I was, you know, I was probably knocking back anything up to seven to ten funerals a week. Wow. Um, because suddenly everybody got to know me and suddenly everybody wanted me, you know. And so, um, and, you know, I think, you know, I mean, for me, it was all about just perseverance. It was just sort of like, you know what, you know, I remember a comment that was said to me um, when I was so excited about my, my, this particular thing that, funeral that I'd got because, you know, it was sort of, you know, it was a really important move to get into a new branch of people. And, and I remember a comment by my ex-husband, which is why he's in the um, saying to me, um, uh, couldn't they get anyone else? And, oh. and I, and I thought, you know what, I can either take that oh and feel deflated about it or I can take it and say, this is my big opportunity. And it was my big opportunity. And I went forward and, you know, it was just, it was just fantastic. It was just, you know, and now I, you know, I'm in a very privileged position. I don't take for granted any funeral that I do. You know, I'm so lucky that people let me into their lives at mm. such a vulnerable time. And, and that family that I spoke of earlier that I've had so much to do with on the last funeral, which was the first of the next generation. So this lady was only 66. 
and she i still got the note that she wrote to her brother saying could you please get robin to do my funeral because she's done all our family funerals and when i was walking around saying goodbye to everybody everybody's saying oh i don't want to see you again just don't want to see you again you know (laughs) I, i get that all the time um and um and then i got to the last person and she said you know what it wouldn't be a family funeral without you Mm, that's beautiful that's so that's why i have the best job in the world (laughs) well look you know what the fact that you enjoy it the fact that it gives you meaning gives you purpose the fact that you've turned that passion into a profession and and the hardest part about turning a passion into a profession robin is i find that what you've experienced which is oh you can't make money from that and the worst part someone so close to you which was your ex-husband at the time saying making a comment like well couldn't they get anybody else i think that would be for many women i find it's so hard to uh, sometimes you just need someone else's belief in you to just overcome and when you don't get that i mean kudos to you for jumping through and seeing the opportunity and not the obstacle that it was yeah Oh, it, it stuck though. It stuck though, because that must be well. It's it's over sixteen years ago now, so you know, like it stuck with me. It never went away. You and, know, and who, but and who won? Who won at the end of the day? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and in fact, when I rang up to inquire about being a funeral celebrant, the gentleman that I spoke to on the phone gave me the most discouraging information about how you'll never get work how you'll never get you know um you know won't get regular work you won't get you know da 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 and and i just thought you know what i'm going to prove you wrong Mm, i love that so you know i and i just thought and i've i've seen that gentleman a lot since and i so want to go up to him and say hey do you know who I am? <laughs> you should. You absolutely should. You absolutely should because... No, he was old and frail. Oh, <laughs> he was right. And I'm like, he might kill over. <laughs> old school, old school, old school. But that, I mean, that's just testament because in doing these interviews, I've just found that, that there's a pattern of, number one, getting over your own limitations and can I do it? And then when you've got someone else's, that's another step. And then people who you're seeking advice from when they give an opinion and it's not the opinion that's going to be encouraging not even one iota that's when you start to doubt yourself and get disillusioned and but man 16 years going strong and starting a foundation you've got to be made a milo (laughs) you're doing great if you spoke to my husband he would tell you that i'm addicted to helping people And that's what it is. And that's, I think, the the addiction to passion is that when you love what you do, helping people just is the the side effect to it. It really is because you can't help but because that's where the passion takes you. What advice would you give to someone who is in their 60s, who is looking to do something other than retire because they know they've got more potential inside them, but they're afraid to tap into it because maybe their history hasn't tapped into their potential before. What advice would you give to a 60-something-year-old? I, I think that if you have always wanted to do something, if you've always had a dream about something, 
give it a go. Who cares? If it doesn't work, what have you lost? Nothing. But you don't go to your grave saying, I wish I had of. Mm-hmm. You know, like people, and sometimes it just turns out, I think, you know, one of the big things is volunteering. Mm-hmm. So I've been a volunteer all my life. That's, you know, I, you know, if I, I had to list my things. I've got two pages of things from my child's kindergarten committee through to a board of directors of a credit union of all sorts of things but what people fail to realize is that by giving you get so much more you get so much more than what you give you know that personal satisfaction you know there's a there's a satisfying thing about helping someone else and that doesn't matter whether it's putting things in envelopes for the cancer council or whatever it is. But if you know, you know, to me, if, if I was, if I didn't know what I wanted to do and I'm my age now, which is 63, I would be probably inclined to say, you know, so where could my talent be best used? Mm. So maybe it's going down, you know, because of my grief counselling background, maybe it's going down and sitting with people in palliative care as they're dying who don't have family or they have family who just can't handle it. Mm. Um, maybe it's that. Maybe it's, it's finding something that will give you as much satisfaction and if you get to make a few dollars out of it, so if it's sitting there crocheting beanies and then going down to a market to sell them, but it gives you satisfaction, or you, you make those beanies and they go off to a, an African country or something. Like it's, it's about trying to change it so that your life is fulfilled. Yeah. So beautifully said, Robin. So beautifully said. And like you said before, what do you want to be have written on your tombstone? Really, that's the crux of it. That's really yeah. the ultimate goal. Yeah. If that's not bad enough, I also make them start to write their eulogy. <laughs> oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Oh, oh god. Just oh. <laughs> something that they're really proud of because you know what? We don't acknowledge the good stuff about us. Because if we do, then people think that we're boasting or people think that we're vain or something like that everybody has a right to be proud of something that they have done. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter whether it changes the world or, you know, in, in one of the, the introductions to one of my funerals, I use the words of, um, I'm just trying to think now of what it says, about um, that he won't be written in history books because he never achieved greatness in the way the world recognises. Yeah. And yet, for him, it was a life of courageous, overcoming obstacles, whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we don't have to be famous. We don't have to be yes. famous to, yes. to be able to do that, you know. So well, if you if you if anyone who believes in God, it's a bit really about being famous or being worthy in the eyes of God, if people are inclined to being spiritual, because that's really the ultimate goal, because you take nothing with you, the fame, the fortune the money, the, the accolades, the titles, the status, it's really just left after you speak. That's where it's left at, you know, that's it. That's and, right. go down and the, the next journey begins. 
you don't you don't take anything with you when you go you don't take anything with you yeah absolutely and my god the eulogy oh my goodness that's so, yeah, that's, yeah, that's full. Is there anything else apart from that that's really like, oh my goodness? <laughs> oh, probably, yeah. Um, I actually just in January started another new thing, <laughs> um, which, <laughs> which I told you I'm addicted to, I think. Um, I actually present enrichment lectures on cruise ships. So when people go on cruise ships, and it's not about death, by the way. Because <laughs> <laughs> the ship's going to sink, you know. <laughs> um, it's, um, so we love cruising. My husband and I love cruising. And uh, so, and I always go along to these enrichment lectures because I always find them interesting and, and stuff like that. So I was talking to one of the presenters uh, at it and he said to me, you know, you should think about doing it because I was talking about what I did and stuff. And, and he said, you should think about doing it. And I went, oh, you know, I don't know. Anyway, I, I had a, a, an interview with this lady and she said, oh, look, you know, we'd love you to talk. And I said, but my passion is about death and people aren't going to want to come list death on a cruise, you know. Uh, and she said, no. And I went, <laughs> I wish they would. I wish they would because a lot of people go on cruises after someone dies. Oh. Right, so I actually wish that they would come along and and I can teach them about grief and about you know integrating loss into your life. So you don't have to get over grief. You just learn to live with it and you adapt your life to around it. And you know they go away from that cruise saying, "Wow, that cruise changed my life." Wow. But of course, you know they 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 don't do that. So um, so she said, "You know what can you talk about?" And I went, "I've got no idea." And she said what's your interest? And I said, people. And she said, well, why don't you talk about people? And I went, oh, I can do that. And so I, I talk on the series called Remarkable Australians. And it's, it's people um, who, some people, some are very famous, but what I try and find out about them is something that people don't know. Mm. so you know um every australian person whether they're interested in sport or not would know don bradman mm. and you know that he was the greatest cricketer and all the rest of it but probably what most of them don't know is that um when he was in england in the series of the ashes he got peritonitis and almost died and the hospital put out an announcement on the BBC saying they urgently needed blood for him and they had to close the hospital doors and turn, turn off the switchboard because they got inundated with people wanting to help. And King George V's secretary rang his teammate saying the king wants to be informed every two hours of his condition. Wow. So, so, so what I'm trying to do is like, talk about people but they don't necessarily we all think people have these fantastic lives mm. and they're just human beings you know yeah hugh, hugh jackman has had 24 skin cancers you know what? um yeah oh, he, he's like he's like you know had so many you know and we look at them and we go wow you know aren't they fantastic aren't they brilliant aren't they whatever but we don't realise they're human beings at the end of the day. Yeah. They're humans and they have the same trials and the same issues 
as what we do. Yeah. You know, at Don, Don Bradman's first child died. Uh, his, he had a son and then he had a daughter with cerebral palsy who lived in care all her life. Yeah. Like, yes, to everybody, he, saw, he was this magnificent cricketer who everybody adored, but he was real. He was a real person. So that kind of got me interested in that. So now that's, you know, just another string to my bow. <laughs> oh, Which cruises are you speaking at? Like, what's, what's the cruise, the ship? Which one? Oh, they, it's all different cruise lines. So oh, it's any oh, cruise line that kind of goes from, from Australia. So they oh. go to New Zealand or they go to the islands or they go around Australia or they go to Singapore or nice. stuff like that, you know. So, and I, you know, I can, you know, I've done two, I did two since I started, which was just in January. So um, oh. leave my husband at home. <laughs> <laughs> but he's coming on one in November. I'm taking him on one in November. So. Nice. Well, you know, Robert, but see, you know, sorry, go on. Like you, you just have to look for opportunities. You just have to look for opportunities. Mm-hmm. But obviously your passion is quite contagious. So people seeing that you're passionate about speaking and, and speaking about life and people and death, that obviously drew, I mean, the fact that you got up to someone and said, you know, I like speaking about death. And she's like, well, maybe not that, but maybe a different topic. It just shows that she saw the passion that still, she wanted to see that on a stage in front of people. Do you know what I mean? Yes. 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 Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. So I just want to say, Robin, thank you so, so much for sharing your story, your time, your insights, and your passion about being a funeral celebrant and really giving us a different perspective really on what death, the conversation around death is and how it actually is a healing during a grieving process rather than shoving it under the carpet. Thank you. That's really nice of you to say that. Thank you. I have really enjoyed our conversation and I hope others do too. Thank you. Thank you so much guys. And we will see you on the next episode of Unbox Your Gift. See you then.